Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. Hello and welcome to Astro 2019 uh, special episodes of The Quadcast. We are very fortunate to have Sue Yam with us today to talk to us a little bit about HN002 and some other pertinent things in head and neck cancer. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me, Sam. Pleasure to be here today. Absolutely. So could you just give us a summary and sort of your take of the data that you just presented? The data I presented was the primary results from NRGHN002. Many might be aware that it was a de-intensification protocol involving two parallel arms. One arm was 60 gray, conventionally fractionated in combination with weekly cisplatin at 40 milligrams per meter squared. And the second experimental arm was 60 gray, mildly accelerated over five weeks at six fractions a week. And um, to make a long story short, the data supports the efficacy of the cisplatin containing arm. We had a projected two year PFS of 91% and the cisplatin-containing arm had a estimated uh, two-year PFS with a, at a median follow-up of 2.6 years of 90.5%. Um, the p-value supports the efficacy of the cisplatin-containing arm. Um, the radiation alone arm did not meet the PFS endpoint, um, although it did meet the co-primary endpoint of MDADI uh, acceptability. Uh, it did not meet the other part of the endpoint, which was the PFS of 91%. And so um, the conclusion of the trial is that the cisplatin-containing arm was efficacious, but we cannot conclude that about the radiation arm. Um, so except in, in long story short, the, the PFS endpoint was met by the cisplatin-containing arm, the MDADI co-primary quality of life one-year uh, acceptability benchmark of 60 was met by both arms, um, and the cisplatin-containing arm is considered to be the selected arm if you want to look at it that way from the phase two data. That's excellent. And so in your interpretation, um, you know, right now in 2019, what what radiation regimen and or chemotherapy regimen do you offer to patients off trial for this patient population? So that is a really uh, interesting question. I know that people are really eager to do the best that they can for their patients on an individual level. And so am I. And I will say as the, as the principal investigator and as an active investigator on the HN002 trial, I did feel that my patients were doing really well on that study. And it was hard for me when the study closed because, um, I just really wondered what I was going to do, you know, shifting my practice back, but we did. So immediately, the day the trial closed to accrual, we went back to standard of care, 70 gray, um, conventionally, well, I guess, you know, IMRT fractionated, however you want to do that, 33, 35 fractions, but IMRT fractionation, um, uh, you know, 6996, 7000 centigrade um, with uh, concurrent cisplatin to, to, to the, you know, to the fractionation and doses we could give it. and. Um, you know, and 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 it's it's a it's a little strange when you're the, actually the the investigator who's doing that, and you switch. You know, like one day you're giving this, and then the next day you're giving that. But I, I think it's I think it's really really important to understand that that you know, 
Clinical trials are not about benefit for individual patients. Clinical trials are designed to test a hypothesis. So, you know, inherently in the conduct of a clinical trial, your patient's actual outcome and welfare are not the goal of the trial. The goal of the trial is to test whether the hypothesis, the science is actually true or not true to the best of your ability uh, with a robust statistical design. And so, you know, in my mind, I have to separate, you know, what do I consider acceptable standard of care for my patients versus what are we doing as a scientific test of a, of a, of a rigorous hypothesis. And so I don't treat my patients outside of a clinical trial. Um, I, I don't feel that at this time we have adequate data to support that de-intensified therapy um, necessarily provides any benefit or is the safest standard of care. And so until we have that very conclusive phase three data, my patients receive what I consider to be standard of care, which is 70 gray and cisplatin. Excellent, thank you for that insight. Um, you know, a lot of the readers of the Quad Shot and listeners of this podcast are trainees and uh, early career uh, practitioners. And, you know, one of the things that um, I was interested to get your take on is what are some of the challenges that you faced with this study? What were some of the, the lowest points that you had whether that was in trial design or patient accrual or analysis, and how do you sort of work through those challenges and, and move beyond them? Yeah, I would I would love to to dialogue with people about this because I think maybe um, you know we assume that trials sort of just happen and that they're you know they're you know that you sort of come up with design and then there's your trial and you're done mm-hmm. and and actually um, trials are really really complicated. I've certainly had my um, very uh, spectacular failures in my career. You know, either I, I just I didn't design it properly, or didn't didn't predict something, or we couldn't accrue. And I, I think these things all have to be really carefully considered, um, because when you when you go into a trial, fundamentally, as I stated earlier, you're putting the scientific hypothesis before your ability to um, how can I put this? Your the scientific hypothesis takes priority. And sometimes that comes into conflict with what the patient wants or even what may be best for the patient. But you are putting your stakes in, the patient's putting their stakes in to test the hypothesis, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the joint venture that the two of you have decided upon and the informed consent has been written for that reason. And so, you know, if, if you're gonna take that kind of, um, if you're gonna take that kind of leap and, um, you know, basically sacrifice what I consider to be autonomy on your part and the patient's part to go into a trial, then the trial has to be really, really well designed and merit that. It has to merit that kind of what, what is essentially in some form of thinking a risk, right? And so um, I would say in the design of this trial, part of it was the consensus building um, within NRG Oncology Steering Group because many people have different feelings about what forms of deintensification are uh, best or least toxic or most appropriate. I can I can tell you there are very large divisions, um, even among what people um, might consider the exact nuances of the standard of care. So it gets really really tricky when you're working with um, experienced uh, clinicians who all have their um, slightly different take. Um, you know, fundamentally the same, but but slight differences that that actually do affect exactly how the trial is written. That's one part of it. Um, and all cooperative group trials are like that. At the end of the day, you have to pick, um, you know, what, what your arms are going to look like, and that's that's really hard. Um, once we had the inclusion criteria and the basic 
parameters of the arms worked out. The rest, the rest was actually pretty smooth because um, this particular trial had really great support from energy oncology stats and um, protocol development. Um, and then one of the things that uh, trainees may not realize about the NCI um, uh, cooperative group network is that it's not enough to just launch the trial. Um, there are benchmarks at every set of the way you know, are you are you meeting your accrual goals? Um, is the trial conduct going as expected? Um, you have um, data monitoring um, committees that, that, that look at the data pretty frequently. Um, the statisticians are closely involved in, in a lot of the monitoring of, of some of the basic parameters of the trial, whether you're meeting expectations or not. And so in some ways it's very much like a grant in that you have to meet all those benchmarks along the way um, or, or the trial will not not succeed so that that the whole thing is kind of hard <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> start to finish yeah <laughs> um in the eyes of sue yam what will be the standard for hpv driven oropharyngeal cancer in five to seven years um so i, I think about this a lot because i think the what I call the landscape of deintensification is so complicated. Um, you know, what we what we proposed in 002 and then the new proposal that we've put out in 005 are are just are just one um, well two, I guess two two views of how deintensification could go. Um, but but there are many um, single institution or small groups of institutions um, that have very different ideas about that. And of course, there's the um, surgery community, um, which, which has its own forms of deintensification that are, that are in active testing, both in the US and around the world. And so, you know, I, I actually think um, it's not gonna get easier. I think we're gonna enter into a phase where um, it's actually gonna become quite challenging to counsel patients and that the way patients are treated will depend a lot on decision-making processes and the special capacities of the centers where they're treated. Um, and I think that's okay. I look at the example of prostate cancer, for example, and, and sort of how that is. I, I, think, I think people with prostate cancer generally in the United States, probably for the most part, get a, get a good treatment you can argue about whether certain treatments are better than other treatments, but you know, at the end of the day, probably most of them are getting competent, decent treatment, you know, with, with maybe some, some few exceptions. And so I think that's going to be kind of similar for oropharynx cancer, like head, head and neck onco oncologists are, are used to very definitive, simple things. Um, and I, I, I don't think this problem is going to lend itself to that. And I, I think even within five years, even potentially within seven years, there's there's going to be a lot of different options out there. And um, to be good at this, you're going to have to be familiar with all of those options and do the best you can counseling the patient out of the experiences you've seen. Um, it's going to take quite a long time before phase three comparator trials are developed. It's not even clear that many of them are feasible. Mm. So that's, that's the issue we're going to face. And it's going to be a, a very chaotic, um, you know, kind, kind of landscape. But, but one thing I will say is I, I think this will make us better doctors. We're going to have to actually talk to people, you know, right. what are your priorities? What is my experience? What is my center capable of doing? 
You know, it's kind of like protons, you know, are we capable of doing this here? Do we have to send you somewhere else? What right. does that mean for you in terms of your life? I mean, translating, translating science to the individual patient level has always been complex, but it will become more complex. What's your favorite thing about Astro? Oh, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I like the interchange of ideas. Um, I think Astro is a crossroads where a lot of different people come together and um, it's exhausting. <laughs> uh, I feel really dehydrated here some of the time, so I, I have to watch that. But, uh, but it's a lot of creative energy. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of energy and intelligence. Um, I think it's pretty exciting that so many different ideas about radiation come together and you, you get to see them in such a, you know, such an efficient way and compressed amount of time. The other thing I really still love about radiation oncology, which I was attracted to as a student in residence still of today, is that I, I feel there's a lot of trust in this community, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of honesty, that we're open with each other, that, uh, you know, there's, there's always minor things that go on in interpersonal relationships or group relationships or what have you, but, but in the end, you know, radiation oncology is a little bit special in that I do feel we're all working to make each other better. We're all working on behalf of our patients in a very genuine way. And it's still a small enough discipline that that, that holds. Um, so the, the interpersonal relationships here are what make the science, you know, go. What, what, what drives the ideas to fruition. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll just uh, close with uh, one final question. And um, arguably, it's going to be the most important question that I ask. Are you aware of the fact that a cute white puppy is posing as you on Twitter? <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, gosh. Okay. That is, that is, that was not on the list of questions, Sam. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you why that is. So, so, um, that, that is my dog and um, she, she's my other famous dog. My first famous dog is named Mochi. My other famous dog is named Tulip. And uh, Tulip is a rescue and has some, some issues. If you notice that that particular photograph is of Tulip with a certificate from her bravery class. And yes. <laughs> yes, I, I was wondering about that. <laughs> and when I when I first entered on social media, I, I have to be honest with you, it's it wasn't something that came natural to me. I, I, I wasn't sure how, you know, I'm, I'm still not sure how how, you know, how that sort of works out in terms of, you know, patient confidentiality, your right. personal confidentiality, right. your relationships with the world and other people. And so, yeah, so that's the, it just uh, that that. I was like, oh, okay, well, Tulip and I have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. Putting yourself out there and being brave. Oh, excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been excellent, a lot of great insight, and I know your time is extremely valuable, so thank you for taking some time out to, to speak to us. And this is The Quadcast, signing off live from Astro 2019. Thanks so much, Sam. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>